It's Jared Waitley. Thanks for listening to the podcast. In this episode, we began our residency here in Vegas and shared a flavour as it prepares for Super Bowl week. Our first guest was cricket cult hero and now local Colin Funky Miller. We tapped the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. Johnny O'Neill owns hype horse Jimmy Starr, who's been invited to the All-Star Mile. And Max Lawton on why the Rock's WrestleMania return has met with a ferocious backlash. You can get in touch at any time. Waitley at sen.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Good morning and welcome to Vegas. Our one-week residency begins. Two nights in Sid City. No misadventures with... Tigers or camels, I'd say it's going well. This Monday morning, snap judgments and first impressions. I'm relying on you for the snap judgments from the weekend of sport at home. 0433 98 11 16 and 1300 736 736. I've got the first impressions from Vegas in the countdown to what is going to be a historic Super Bowl. For an opening note, perhaps let me share the level of hyperbole swearing around, uh, swirling around the build-up here. It's as if the entire history of Las Vegas was leading up to hosting the Super Bowl. And that was written in a business journal. So you can only imagine what else has been said. Keeping with the city's well-earned reputation, the boast is there will never have been a bigger collision of sport and entertainment than the next week promises. And that's separate to the Taylor Swift factor, which has eclipsed the football talk for much of the bye week. It also continues the meteoric rise of Vegas as a sports town. For generations, teams failed rapidly here, often engulfed in acrimony and controversy. The colour, the character of the town absolutely played against sporting teams. Now the city has the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the Stanley Cup winners in ice hockey, the Las Vegas Aces, the back-to-back champions in the WNBA, the Las Vegas Raiders, playing out of Allegiant Stadium, where the Super Bowl will be in seven days' time. The NBA has just played the in-season tournament final here. And we're based at the Tropicana, which I think it's fair to say has seen better days, but won't see many more. It's to be flattened to build the 33,000-seat, retractable-roofed, $1.5 billion baseball stadium, which is the future home of the Oakland A's. So a ballpark right on the Strip. Sport will be as big a part of nightlife as the concerts and the magic shows. We'll tell you the story of that as the week unfolds. That's the sporting side of things. First impressions, just a few random notes. The airport is at the end of the strip. So imagine, what would it, imagine Tullamarina Docklands. Our hotel floor out one side looks to the strip and out the other looks to the airport. That's convenience like Melbournians could never imagine. Nothing is subtle here. You walk off the plane and there are slot machines at the gate. There are slot machines in the arrivals hall. There are slot machines between the baggage carousels. And they are being played. The Uber driver told me that there are slot machines in the gas stations. And it seems to be generally agreed that there are about 200,000 slot machines in the gambling capital. They've even put a few in at Radio Row to amuse us for the week. The tone is set from the very first step. And there's a neon arch at the airport that reads, what happens here only happens here. So the newly arrived pose for photos, as if the arch was them making a pledge, I think. The strip is iconic from every Vegas movie and TV show that you ever saw. My mistake was watching Obliterate from Netflix on the flight over. 
rather than, say, Ocean's Eleven, which felt like safer territory. Has anyone else seen Obliterate? I nearly stayed at LAX. You move past the Giza Pyramids, which this week is decked out as a giant Dorito. Yep, a giant Dorito. So there, there must be mummies rolling in their tombs. You go up to the Arthurian Castle that is Excalibur, onto Lady Liberty standing at New York, New York, look up to the Eiffel Tower at Paris, then across to the fountains of the Bellagio that are dancing to the theme of the Pink Panther, and then the Roman tributes of Caesar's Palace with a glance to the pink feathers of the Flamingo where Wayne Newton still performs. That's, that's real. On various street corners, you'll see Sinatra busking in a full tuxedo and Elvis hosting curbside karaoke for the revelers who are sucking their oversized frozen daiquiri tubes. On other street corners, there are sites that they're best left unsaid, I think. It really is an assault on the senses. My first night here was Friday, so I was the scout. I'm not sure I'm best equipped to be the scout, but that's the way that it landed. And for all the suggestions that you sent through, I thought, what's the most Vegasy thing that I could do? And the answer felt like David Copperfield, live the impossible. So I bought a last-minute ticket on a front table right up against the stage. They're actually the cheapest ones, which was a curiosity. And sat there with three middle-aged women from Iowa who'd always fancied seeing the show and were enjoying their last night in Vegas. And I'm here to tell you that Copperfield is very Vegasy indeed. Unapologetically big and inevitably garish. There are Harleys and Cadillacs, time travel and lotto numbers, little blue aliens and a 30-foot T-Rex. Copperfield, he's probably at the point where he's almost a caricature of himself, but the illusions are they are grand and ambitious. And they do leave you wondering how on earth they are staged. So my two-word review, I think, would be hilariously ridiculous. But Copperfield does 500 shows a year in this theatre at the MGM Grand, and he makes about $60 million annually from his residency. So the laugh's certainly not on him. Yesterday, a big shout-out to Pete from Q and a few others who recommended the helicopter, the Maverick helicopter flight to the Grand Canyon, which I must say is as good a tourist experience as I've ever had. En route, we saw the Lake Las Vegas, which is a luxury compound of the rich and famous from Tom Cruise to Celine Dion. There's a rule of thumb here, apparently, is to find the money, you follow the water in the desert. Sort of makes sense. Modern Vegas thrives thanks to Lake Mead, which is created by the Hoover Dam. It was built in the 30s and used enough concrete to lay a two-lane highway from one edge of America to the other. And it's instantly and delightfully recognisable from the climax of Superman. So that was something to see. Lake Mead has 500 miles of shoreline and it's a fascination for scuba divers because there are submerged beneath the surface old towns that were flooded when the dam was built. You fly across arid, desolate, really hellish land and in parts it's marked by grids and it turns out the plots are for sale for $20,000 a piece. There's the odd trailer in the middle of nowhere for the ultimate in off-grid living. It's a landscape marked by Joshua trees, wild cattle and long-horned sheep. And it delivers you to the western rim of the Grand Canyon where 300 feet below flows the Colorado River. It is spectacular and awe-inspiring and every bit as grand as the name suggests. So... 
one of those scenes that I'm not sure that photos totally capture or do justice to. I've put a few bits and pieces on Instagram, but you, those of who, you who have been there, I suspect will know exactly the sense of wonder that it provoked. The trip finishes flying adjacent to the length of the strip, so from the sphere to the Death Star, the nickname for the football stadium. Last night, Joel Brooks arrived. Is Together we're going to share the flavour of the week with you back home. We walked the floors of the casino, we took selfies on the strip, and we pondered whether we could become Vegas guys. Probably not, but you never know. What we'd really like to do is play craps. So in the movies, the most fun seems to be playing craps. We stood at the tables at the Bellagio and Caesars and watched last night, but couldn't quite grasp the strategy or the bets that were at play. So if you've unlocked the secret of craps, could you share it with us? You've been so generous so far. 0433 98 11 16. Um, maybe a call or two, one three hundred seven three six seven three six, And the email's been great with what you've been prepared to share. Waitley at sen.com.au. So using all that you sent us, we, we've built a bit of an itinerary as well as the build-up to the Super Bowl. And we're based at Radio Row, which is not formally open today, but there'll be a, an awful lot to share from here. So David Copperfield at the MGM Grand, the Maverick helicopters to the Grand Canyon, dinner at Strip Steak by Michael Mina, uh, the rise of restaurant culture here evidently has been really something. Most of the restaurants are linked to a celebrity chef. Tonight we're doing the Sphere Experience, Postcards from Earth. Tuesday is the Las Vegas Golden Knights at T-Mobile Arena. We've gone all in for you 2 at the Sphere as a once-in-a-lifetime. There's lunch at Joe's Seafood, Prime Steak and Stone Crab in Caesars, which a few of you sent through. We've got Live Golf at Las Vegas Country Club on Saturday and we'll broadcast from there on Sunday morning and then the Super Bowl at the Climax. So I do want to say just a huge thanks for all of your suggestions to help us put that in place. And it's never too late for fresh ones. 0433 98 11 16. And you can email waitley at sen.com.au. So those are my first impressions of Vegas to mash up with your snap judgments from the weekend of sport. one 736 736 Here's what I've cobbled together. And I knew this was going to happen. Australia debuted Jake Fraser-McGurk and Will Sutherland in the wrong game. Selection isn't done to please the public, but ODI cricket needs all the help that can get at moments like these outside of a World Cup. Those boys should have played at the MCG and it should have happened with all the fanfare and hometown parochialism that could be mustered. And it might have helped build a crowd beyond 16,342 which, as it turned out, was pretty unflattering on Friday. Anyway, Fraser McGurk gave us a taste of what he'll do for all of his days, I reckon. You'll need patience, tolerance and belief. And that was all there in the first five balls. A nervous swipe and miss. The second, an erroneous spar outside off. The third, a march forward slap for four just to get the juices flowing. The fourth, a glorious lift to the top deck at mid-wickets. And the fifth, a repeat of the same mistake that he'd made three balls earlier, except this time that it found the edge. If you thought Maxwell ball was challenging, it's about to get a millennial's touch. As for Sutherland, he is all over an international player. So this was Steve Smith who gave his thoughts after last night's game on the two debutants, Jake Fraser-McGurk and Will Sutherland. 
Yeah, uh, you know, Fraze was, uh, looked like he was enjoying himself for the first few balls that he, he was out there. He hit a massive six, which was nice. And, um, you know, he goes about his business in that way, which is, is nice to see. And I thought Southo was really good tonight. He just bashed away uh, on his lengths on this wicket. It's all you really needed to do. And it was a bit of up and down and a bit of movement. So, no, it was, uh, it was nice to see them have, have a debut and we can get a win for them. Are you braced for years of Jake Fraser McGurk? I thought Maxwell ball was challenging. So the millennials touch is coming. 0433 98 11 16 and 1300 736 736. That snap judgments. Adam Uze tipped his hand with Michael Gleeson in the age on the weekend of what Richmond is going to look like under his regime. And it's so interesting. I wonder what you thought of it. So Dusty is a pure mid. Shea Bolton is a Cyril Rioli impact forward. And Noah Bolter is a power forward. And then the back page of the Herald Sun today alludes to Daniel Rioli potentially as a midfield option as well. That is so interesting. I wonder what you made of it. Is that what you do if you were the, the new coach coming in? Just restore a few things the way they were before the period of experimentation set in. The Socceroos, this is really interesting, I reckon. They were lavished with praise for their World Cup performances in Qatar. And Graham Arnold was heralded internationally for his coaching. They are entitled to criticism now for an underwhelming Asian Cup. So a quarterfinals exit in the regional championship doesn't cut it. Those who follow the trends closely had warned from the very outset of this tournament that the team wasn't playing in the manner that would threaten the powerhouses of Asia. Australia should be a powerhouse in Asia. So various members of the team can complain about the coverage they received, wishing everyone would just get around them. But they are due a fair and comprehensive critique. Minus the abuse, so whatever abuse there is, that's the outlier. But they are entitled to a fair and deep, comprehensive critique because it was a failed campaign. You can cut it up any way you like, but out in the quarterfinals of the Asian Cup is a failed campaign. And a salute before our morning is done to Carl Weathers as well, who gave our sporting culture so much in his screen roles as Apollo Creed and Chubbs Peterson. So we'll pay tribute as the morning goes on to Carl Weathers and what he gave us on screen for our sporting culture. Your calls, one 736 736 Snap judgments to add to my first impressions. Uh, Jason in St Albans. Jason, have you played a bit of craps? Yeah, I've just come back from six weeks over there and played a lot of it. Um, so my advice to you, okay, so basically um, I stay away from the pass line. I wait till the, the thrower has hit the point and then I bet and then the numbers. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You're breaking up, Jason, and I'm making notes furiously because I want to see if I can nail this down. Um, Joel right, and I mate. will never be Vegas guys, but we, we fancy playing craps before our time is done. So just just walk me through it again, Jason. Wait, wait till I make a point. No, I'm just going to see if we can firm that line up because I don't want to miss any, any of the detail that you're giving us here. Gary's in Lara. Welcome to you, Gary. Good morning, Gerard. Terrific editorial you've just done. And by golly, didn't you remind me when you said the minute you get off the plane, there are those slot machines. Nowhere <laughs> else in the world are you going to get that. Couldn't believe it. But, but the big one, you left off as the star of all time, Barry Manilow. Barry Manilow. Vegas. Is, he, is he not there at the minute with a touch of Mandy and all the big hits? Well... I haven't seen any Barry Manilow uh, signs. Let me just have a look. Oh, when Wayne Newton, that I didn't know Wayne Newton was still with us, but there he is still at the Flamingo, as he has been. Barry Manilow live in concert. Yeah, okay. Las Vegas Resort. 
Westgate Las Vegas Resort. All right, I'm not sure I've got many nights left, Gary, to, to squeeze stuff in, but that would be very Vegasy, wouldn't it? Have you seen Barry Manilow in concert? I've seen him. He's unbelievable. So it's just a matter of get yourself a ticket if he's there at the minute. But you said the other guys would get pulled. Tropperfield was pulling 60 mil. Well, I reckon Barry Manilow had the penthouse for a couple of years and he was getting just as much and it was a wow of a show. <laughs> Gary, great review. I could see that on a poster. It was a wow of a show. Probably a bit better than my hilariously ridiculous. Uh, Paul's in Gladstone with a snap judgment on the Socceroos. G'day, Paul. Yeah, g'day, Jared. How are you? I'm well, thank you. That's good. Yeah, just want to have a, a, a quick chat about the Socceroos. Like, I I kind of thought that um, Graham Arnold set the stall out quite well. And the reason I say that is, is because I don't think we're in the top three or four in Asia on paper. And, I mean, if you look at that game against, um, you know, Korea, we, we actually created three really, really clear-cut chances and probably should have been 3-0 up at the 80th minute mark and put the game to bed. So, really, I think, you know, the only fault lies in sort of not finishing those couple of chances that we had that really would have just put the game beyond doubt. And then, I mean, copping a penalty in the last 30 seconds of the game is quite, I don't know if you say naive or a bit unlucky, but, yeah, I just kind of felt like if we had got through that game, we actually could have won the tournament. Yeah, but they are big ifs, Paul, aren't they? Is after the World Cup, it's reasonable to expect Australia to be... Well, I think par is semi-finals of an Asian Cup. That, that, that feels fair to me. Do you reckon that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I would have said, you know, we would have been to have finished in the semis. But, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes soccer is just such a game of, you know, sort of, you know, fine lines. And we just, I suppose, didn't really finish, you know, those, that second and third goal, which, you know, we really should have. And if you do that, you know, the game is beyond doubt. So, yeah, I just think, um, yeah, and, and copying a penalty in the last 30 seconds, I'm not sure if, yeah, like I said, maybe a bit naive, you know, maybe you jockey a little bit and you don't really, you know, throw yourself in, uh, kind of almost a bit of a throwback to, to, to Lucas Neal, you know what I mean? Like, but anyway, it is what it is. Good on you, Paul. Thank you for your snap judgments on the Socceroos campaign. I am super curious as our morning unfolds. If you're in the 16,000 at the MCG on Friday, what, was it worth it? I see there's a, a spirited debate going on around the pricing of such a game, given it's a, a game that is on an island. It, it has no consequence. So, and would it have been better if those two Victorian boys had played at the MCG rather than on Sunday at the SCG? I, I knew that was going to happen when I spoke to you on Thursday about it. So your snap judgments, one 736 736 Quick flavour of the text as well, the 40 Winks temper text temper a mattress like no other forget sport jared just keep talking about vegas i want to go back that's jules from lang warren you're getting me so excited for my trip to vegas for the nrl thanks for sharing your experiences that's ian and caloundra snap judgment jake fraser mcgurk is t20 only cricketer that's from Stephen, and they keep pouring through i'm going to get back to jason a little bit later on because i want to make sure brooksy's got the headset on so we can do our craps tutorial together snap judgments keep them flowing through you told us the one australian you wanted to hear from in vegas to start with was colin funky miller and i'm rapt to say that he's going to join us next we have a one-week residency here in Vegas. We're at the Mandalay Bay. We'll be here all week. We're on Frank Sinatra Drive, rather gloriously named. And when we asked you, we'd like to tell the stories of Australians who now live over here. And pouring, I can't tell you how many people text and emailed saying, Colin Miller, 
Funky is so well remembered by Australian sporting fans and it's my great pleasure to say Funky's with us as we embark on our Vegas residency. Colin, it's great to have you on SEN. Welcome. Jared, how are you, buddy? It's been a while. It has, it has. We had every intention of doing this in person, but the bureaucracy here hasn't quite panned out. Um, how long have you lived here in Vegas? Um, this will be going into year 16. So it's been, it's been a while. I've been um, 2008 when I first moved over here. Uh, then I came home for a little bit and then we moved back here in February 2009. So, yeah, it's been a while. Take us back 16 years. What, what, what was the first impressions of moving to Vegas? Um, I think like all people that haven't been to Vegas before, you've seen it in the movies and on the TV shows and you see all the lights and the glitz and the glamour. And I probably didn't realise that there were actually suburbs around town that people lived here. Yeah. And as far as you can see, as you would have known when you flew in the other day, as far as you can see now, and the valley's full of homes, there's a bit over 2 million people living in, 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 in Las Vegas now. So it's a, it's a big growing city. It, is it overwhelming when you first get here? Um. It, it, I think it can be for those people coming here on vacation. I think it's different when you move here to live. Um, certainly if you're coming here to stay on the strip for four or five nights and you've got the lights and the shows and the casinos and all the sport going on now and all the noise and everything goes in those casinos, it's probably overwhelming. But when, when you're living here, it's a different thing. I, I work on the strip and um, my wife and I don't go back to the strip unless we really need to. Yeah, yeah. So what, what brought you here? I married Cindy, Cindy my wife. Um, Cindy's an American yep. girl. Uh, we met uh, 22 years ago in London, and uh, we did the long distance thing for a long, for a long time, and then decided to get married in 2008. Could you ever have imagined living in Vegas? Was that wh- wh- what part of the plan was that? <laughs> Certainly, it, it's somewhere where I always wanted to visit when I was younger. Um, I used to like playing the slots. You know, the casinos are only in Melbourne. Um, that that changes when you move to Las Vegas. You don't gamble in anymore because you can't afford to. Um, but yeah, Vegas is, I love living here. It's, it's a really, really good place. When you live out in the suburbs, we're, we're quite close to, to the strip now. I'm probably two and a half miles from where you are right now. Uh, we moved down to an older area six years ago. Um, an old gated community house was built in the seventies, which is really old for Las Vegas. Um, it's a really beautiful part of town and it takes me seven minutes to get to work in the morning and an hour to get home at night time. <laughs> How have you seen it grow? Uh, huge. Um, I remember the first time Sydney picked me up in the airport when I was just visiting, uh, probably in 2003. Um, and the drive from the airport to her house was there was nothing to be seen either side of the road. Um, she lived up in Summerlin then. Uh, now, if you go to Summerlin, it's completely full all the way to her house where it used to be. And then they're building up in Bedrock Canyon as well. So the, the entire valley is just literally full. Um, they're, they're building houses here like it's going out of fashion. It's crazy how many houses they're building here. Everyone from California seems to be moving down here now as well for tax reasons. It's a lot cheaper to live here than it is in California. Um, so it, it's growing hugely at the moment. In terms of, so maybe the sporting culture. So the history of it is, is that teams failed quickly here and it was such a checkered history. And now uh, it, it has become a rapidly growing sporting capital. How have you seen that unfold over the past decade? Yeah, I think the difference was the teams in the past were at the second level of the professional sports. Um, as soon as they brought in the top level of the sport, like the Golden Knights and the Aces with the women's WNBA, um, the football now you know, with the Raiders, you bring in those 
top-level teams, you're going to attract crowds. Um, and you remember, there's 50 million people a year visit Las Vegas, and they want something to do. Um, these teams have openly admit they don't necessarily need to have local support to be successful. So you're a ticket holder with the Golden Knights and have been from year one. I remember that that's when we spoke when they were on that yeah. Cinderella run in their first year as a franchise. What what did they do right to, to establish that culture? Um, built the stadium on the strip. This makes a big difference. Um, people can walk from the hotel to the, to the arena. Um, they, they built a team that was Las Vegas. It wasn't a, a team that moved from another city. It's a Las Vegas team, so that got the locals involved. Um, and the draft party the first year, um, they filled 18,000 seats for the draft. That was incredible. Uh, and then to go on that run um, to win, to get, make it to the Stanley Cup final that first year, um, just got the real local crowd behind them. It's starting to change a little bit now. Um, a lot more people from out of town, from the visiting team are here. So there's certain games we'll go to and we'll be surrounded by the away team supporters. You know, they're starting <laughs> to creep their way in. A lot of the locals yeah. who bought the season ticket six years ago have now probably got out of it. Um, they're, they're either sold their tickets or they're selling them on a weekly basis or a game basis. And so now there's more people from all over the place. But really, you know, there's 18 and a half thousand seats they've got to fill every night and they do fill them every night. So we're going on Tuesday night. What what will we experience? Because we've been told that it's the best staging of, of ice hockey that there is. Yeah, make sure you get there in time to see the whole pre-game show. Um, my wife and I back to that early, and we've seen it 150 times. But um, yep. get, get there and see the pre-game show. Get there for the singing of the national anthem. Um, get there for that. That's, that's particularly exciting. Um, and then just the start of, of the game as well. Um, if, they, if they score early and get in front early, the crowd really gets really erupted. It was really funny. The first probably 25 games of the first year, um, Vegas had never had a professional team at that level before, so people didn't really know how to support and there was very polite golf clapping going on and, and hey, well done sort of stuff. <laughs> so they yeah. hired a hype guy in the crowd and they hired all the, all the people to get the crowd excited. And then, and now it's a really good atmosphere. It's, it's just, it, I enjoy it. It's, it's, it's good fun. What's the rise of football been like here with the, the Raiders coming and, and that rather spectacular new stadium built? It's awesome. Have you been out there yet? Not yet. We flew over it yesterday, but I haven't been to it yet. Yeah, it's beautiful. My wife and I have been lucky enough to go to maybe four or five games the last couple of years. Um, it's 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 different. They're, they're, like I said, they're a team that came from two other cities previously. Um, so there's still a lot of people who drive down from LA for the games. A lot of people who live in Vegas are from LA, so they've loved the Raiders originally anyway. Um, but again, they're filling those stadiums. Uh, we went to a 49ers game last year, and there was probably more 49ers fans in than there were Raiders fans last year. So, like I said, you know, 50 million people who come to this city need something to do for a few hours before they go drinking and gambling. Well, we're staying at the Tropicana, so that's the that's the ballpark that they're going to level it and build the ballpark. Which, you, when you stand on the corner and have a look at it, it's a it's a huge lot. But imagine a ballpark right there on the strip. Yeah, that, that block is 44 acres, and the baseball only needs like 11. So the plan is to build that nice. baseball field facing the, that, that intersection with the front door of the field. And then they're going to rebuild the hotel around it, get another 40-story building. Um, I love it. My work is right across the road. So I, I absolutely would walk across the road after a game, after a day of work and watch a few innings and a couple of beers and go home. You're probably one of the last people ever going to stay in that hotel. I think they knock it down on Monday. <laughs> 
<laughs> it, it it does look like it's ready to be knocked down for what it's worth. But um, uh, well, that that'll well, what an addition that will be. Just bear with me a tick, Colin. So Colin Miller is with us. Our first day in Vegas. Who else could we have started with? Let me just check in with Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. Colin Miller is one of the most memorable figures in cricketing history, judging by all of your thoughts that have been pouring through. So 18 tests, 69 wickets between 1999 and 2001. Funky, how do you reflect on your cricketing days these years on? I'm lucky if I can remember it now. Uh, <laughs> I've been retired longer than half these guys are playing now. Um, it's It's so long ago that uh, I don't watch any cricket anymore. I haven't seen cricket for 16 years, basically. I do get up in the morning and read the Australian papers, the Herald Sun, the Age, and, and try to catch up and look at cricket info and see when the scores are going on. But but really, it's, it's so long ago, and the, the game has changed, I think, so much from when I played. Um, 2020s had such an influence on the way people play the game at all levels um, and all styles of the game. Test cricket's changed a lot. The 50, 50 over game was predicted to be dying out, and maybe it is now. 2020, so many tournaments going on all around the world, and there's even a you know, tournament coming up in the in the US this year as well. So, yeah, it's spread here, and it's gonna it's gonna keep growing here at the 2020 level, but probably no other level. Do you keep connections to players of your generation? I imagine you you know you're a pretty neat phone call to make. Saying I'm travelling to Vegas, what what can you help with? The last person I bumped into here was Gilly. Um, that was probably. Yep. Three or four years ago, he was he was at the hockey um, with the group. He was doing a sponsors gig over here, and he'd been calling me on my old phone, old cell number. And it wasn't until the end of the game, I was walking downstairs, and he walked out of the bathroom. We bumped into each other, um, and, <laughs> he, and he loved he loved it. He thought it was one of his great sporting experiences as well. Um, yeah, Flemo's been here a couple of times. A couple of guys dropped through in the here. They took me a call, but it's a long way to come. Do you so that the part of the T20 World Cup is going to be in America, and there's the the uh, franchise comp that started last year? Is it, what's cricket's prospects of gathering a foothold here in America? Uh, I think only at the T20 level, um, and I think they need to get American-born Americans playing the game. Um, there's still a very strong Caribbean, uh, Indian, uh, Middle East, Asian. Uh, population that play the game, even though they are American-born, they're still probably considered to be the Indian or Pakistan or West Indian background. Um, and they get some young American guys playing the game, and they, you know, this country's good at hyping things up, and they get some hype behind the game. And this, having some T20 World Cup games here might be the, the catalyst for that. But um, I think franchises that there's money here. I mean, the IPL are happy to buy franchises all around the world, and. Um, if they decide to throw some money behind American cricket, it might be might, might be successful. Super Bowl week starts tomorrow. The teams are due into town tonight. How big, even on a Vegas scale, is this week going to be? Uh, really big. Um, they're predicting Formula One was only, what, two and a half months ago. Um, that was huge for, for part of the strip. Uh, the resort that I worked for, we had, we had our quietest week of the year. Um, because we were off the, off the right. track. Um, resorts that were on the track probably did a little bit better, um, but the transportation and getting around town was a nightmare for like 12 months. Um, Super Bowl's different. It's down my end of the strip. Um, you can walk down there. It's easier to get to. There's no road blockages going on, although all the roads around the stadium have been blocked for about two weeks now. 
I'm getting ready for all the fan fest stuff that goes on around the game. Um, nightly rates are, are unbelievable, um, up to $2,700 a night for rooms uh, in the resorts. Um, it's an expensive weekend, I'll tell you that. I mean, you talk tickets, if you're talking now, tickets anywhere between eight and $10,000 just for a ticket this week. So you add that to $2,700 yep. a night and 40 bucks for a beer and 50 bucks for a cocktail, and it, it gets expensive real quick. It does, it does. Have you done you 2 at the Sphere? No, I haven't. No, I haven't. we haven't been to the Sphere yet. Uh, I've looked at it. I can see it when we drive over the bridge just down the road from our house. Um, we'll wait till I don't know, someone else. I'm not really a big U2 fan, but we'll wait till someone's, okay. we'll wait till someone's there. I'm sure there'll be someone that'll like come along eventually. Have you got one tip for Vegas for a couple of uh, couple of fellas who aren't really Vegas kind of guys? <laughs> yeah, um, we got to catch up for a beer later this week. Um, there's so much to do on the local side of town. People get stuck in the strip, um, but there's so much to do outside of the strip of Las Vegas that we could do, and uh, restaurants and bars that are away from the city were a little more um, affordable. If you want to put it that way? Um, get away from the masses. <laughs> yes. uh, enjoy a quiet lounge somewhere and have a quiet beer. Terrific, Colin. It's great to catch up. There are so many people who wanted to hear from you as we set up here in Vegas. So I'm wrapped that you're able to join us. I've been getting text messages for the last 15 minutes. So everyone, everyone in Australia is listening <laughs> to you. Fantastic. Good on you, Colin. Thanks for giving us a feel for what it's like to live and, and work here in Vegas as we begin our, our one week together here. So Colin Funky Miller, so many of you wanted to hear from him. I'm thrilled that he was able to join us on Monday to get us underway. one 736 736 and the 40 Winks temper text is 0433 temper, a mattress like no other. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Funky Miller, so well remembered by plenty of you from those test matches, particularly one in the West Indies. Funky Miller was Australia's version of Sobers, opening the bowling with fast medium, bowl spin, then belt the opposition with the bats. Mick, I was in Antigua in 1999 when Funky clubbed Ambrose for six. Unfortunately, I was suffering a severe hangover and was listening to it from my hotel room. I returned to the ground later in the day. That test was famous for being the game when Warney was dropped. I was flicking around through uh, that earlier today um, and just his record was exceptional. 69 wickets at 26 and a bit and um, test matches in Pakistan, in the West Indies, in Sri Lanka, in New Zealand, in India and at home and the 10 wickets in Adelaide versus the West Indies which dates to December 2000. Um, yeah, so rapt that he was able to join us there as he was in concert with Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Stuart McGill and Ricky Ponting in that test match. He took five for 81 in the first innings and five for 32 in the second. And unsurprisingly, he was the player of the match. We'll get crashed to share a memory or two of Colin Miller as well. Now, Michael's in Langwarren, the, the modern place of the ODI and the existential crisis that it seems to suffer in a, in, in a staging over the summer when there's no jeopardy around the games. Michael, welcome. Hi, G. How are you, mate? I'm well, thank you. Mate, uh, I was just watching yesterday, you know, and, and reflecting on ODI, thinking back to, you know, even the early 90s when we used to play a tri-series of one-dayers, you know, and, and and I'm just ref- looking at it thinking, my word, hasn't 2020 just changed the whole thing? 
you know, 16,000 at the G to watch Australia play the West Indies in, a, in an ODI. You know, we used to get better crowds, with, you know, in the in the tri-series when the, when the two visiting nations played each other, you'd get a yeah. better crowd than that. Um, and, but the I was mutual watching, one day. Uh, yeah, yeah but it's, it, I was watching yesterday, watching them Australia um, bat, and all of a sudden I realised, you know, they're at the 30 over mark, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm sort of starting to think, oh, you know, oh, 30, oh, I've got 20 to go. This is a 2020 20 to go. You know, they've got to, if they want ODIs to survive, they can't just play three. They're like exhibition matches. And, you know, what about, what about they try 25 25? Split it up, play bat for 25 ball, and then do two innings. Or do something because they've just died in the. They've just died, yes, mate. <laughs> they have. Well done checking yourself there. So I think the BBL is, that's the new version of the old ODI, isn't it? So I was thinking the SCG final had 43,153 and the ODI had 20,025. So it, it, it is a superior product. There is consequence in all of those matches and particularly the scarcity that was reapplied served that competition well. So the, the place of ODIs is at the World Cup, which I felt was exceptional and we lived through that in real time. And these games... They're just out on an island. I did like the phrase that uh, Todd Greenberg, the chief executive of the Players Association, used with me uh, late in the summer is games without jeopardy. His games need to have a meaning if you really want to draw people in. But, yeah, that, that old idea of the one day in your town being perhaps the major day of cricket it is not the case anymore. Big Al text through. Did you happen to see Cam Green's catch yesterday? He's accumulating quite a highlights reel, don't you think? Uh, remarkable. What a great fielder he is. And stacks of Vegas stories, which I'll share as we go. So keep them coming through. They are keeping me amused. Uh, Waitley at sen.com.au and ping through your texts 0433 98 11 16. We've got texts going in a few different directions this morning. Funky Miller equals blue hair. Australia Day versus the Windies. Tim from Mansfield. Colin was back in Australia last August, still giving back to the club where his dad was a founding member. There are numerous ponderances around how he would go in T20 cricket and what a superstar force he would be. And Adam, Colin does tell a story on his tour to Pakistan where he and Glenn McGrath bought fireworks off the street and left them off, let them off in the hallway of their hotel where the walls were made out of marble. As soon as they were let off, the soldiers assigned to protect them came running around the corner with AK-47s cocked and ready to go. On a Vegas front... Dave texts through, I've seen Obliterated and probably not a show I could see you watching, Jared. The Green Alien and the Camel. That show had it all. That that show had far too much. Far too much. Uh, great stories from Vegas. Um, where's the wedding story here? Do you know, it, so the cliches are true. Every hotel has a wedding chapel. And sure enough, so when you walk into our hotel and there's four different signs where you need to be the club tower the food court there's the wedding chapel <laughs> just made me chuckle it was in use yesterday too um just bear with me a tick uh vic from marupna text through just stop it i'm so jealous when COVID hit i was going to see lady gaga in vegas for my 50th birthday and do a number of similar things you've mentioned. While so disappointed my trip was cancelled, I'm going to live vicariously through you and the SEN team for the next week. Have a wonderful time away. That's what we 
will ask you to live vicariously through us. Jim, this is the one I'm looking for. I hang on. I was on a Kentucky tour. Screen. It's just I just don't have the normal gear I would have in the studio, so forgive me. I was on a Kentucky tour in Vegas. The bus started breaking down, driving down the strip. It finally broke down out the front of the White Chapel. And since it was raining outside, we all went in to get out of the rain. All of a sudden, Elvis appears and called me and my girlfriend to the stage and proceeded to marry us in front of everyone. I found out it was all a setup and there was nothing wrong with the bus. Awesome experience. Jim could have been in obliterate with a story like that and we're talking one day cricket and its place the existential crisis that it faces and how that played out with 16,000 at the MCG and 20,000 at the SCG so let's bring in the wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock hello to you Crash G'day Jared. I'm, I mean, I'm enjoying this show like no other honestly the visions <laughs> are strong and uh it just blows my mind that Funky Miller tomorrow will become the world's 60th birthday and the world's trendiest 60-year-old cricketer. There you go. Amazing, isn't it? Well, what are your memories of him? Well, I just think he was the last of the great nocturnal cricketers. And he struggled to get to sleep before midnight. And he was beautifully coached by John Buchanan. I remember once in a, in a, in a bar in Adelaide, it was 10 minutes to midnight and there was a midnight curfew and uh, Buchanan came up to Funky and said, Colin, it's 10 to midnight. And then Funky said, it is too, Buck, just about your bedtime, hey? And, and <laughs> Buck just smiled, spun on his heel and walked away because he knew that Funky couldn't get to bed. He just couldn't sleep before about 2 a.m. And uh, I loved his journey. He used to stay in a little room in a pub in Hobart and, and when he was representing Australia at a test. And this tiny little room, and I remember Alan Border was walking past the pub one day and they, they pointed it out to him and he smiled and he said, isn't Funky a great story? This late <laughs> developing cricketer who proved that, you know, you can come from nowhere. If, if And he got selected on player power, his offspin. The selectors were saying, oh, we can't choose a middle-aged offspinner who used to be a fast bowler. And all the players said to him, I'm telling you, it'll work. And you know what? It did. Amazing. Yeah, and it worked all around the world. It's a great record across 18 tests, 69 wickets at 26. Oh, yeah, and he was bowling at a pace no one ever bowled off spin at. It was far, they couldn't get out of their crease to them. And, they, and, and all the senior Sheffield Shield players at the time went to the selectors and said, you've underrated this bloke. This can work, all condition. And, and he was such a good team, man. When he was in India, he was the, um, t you know, he, he'd take a set of, clippers and be the team barber you know blokes would line up and he'd, he'd shear them you know they're pretty rough old haircuts but he got the job done but yeah <laughs> there was only and as i said uh, when i saw that he turned 60 tomorrow i thought the super bowl is officially the second biggest celebration in vegas because <laughs> no one enjoyed a party more than funky so that that'd be great but jared i must a quick one because i know i'll forget to ask you the best david copperfield trick you saw on stage uh the lotto numbers is absolutely entrancing and it plays out over a period of time but to just trying to figure out how the illusion is done i can't come up with even a vague theory but so it's the he tells a story about his grandfather who always played the lotto numbers of the registration plates of his two cars and randomly three members of the audience pick two numbers each 
and earlier in the sh- earlier in the night, he's locked a, a sheet of paper in you know all the padlocked case and all that sort of thing. All so they unlock all of that, and his numbers match the random numbers from the audience, and um, and and random facts about those three people as well. Is that 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 tickled me? I must say. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you having the time of your life. I'm loving it, mate. It's it's, it's fascinating. All right, what's the purpose of these one dayers crash? This is the existential crisis that fifty over cricket faces outside of a World Cup, and it's played out pretty graphically across the first two matches, and then Canberra, which comes next. Yeah, there's a real flatness about it, Jared, isn't there? And, and I'm still red hot on the push to. For, for the Frank Worrell Trophy for me should be like the women's trophy when we're playing the Ashes. It covers all events. It covers the, the, the Test Series, the 50 over and the 20 over. So all these matches count towards the same trophy. That's a way of giving it meaning and purpose and trying to get the best players playing. You know, you want that trophy. I just feel, you know, even the fact that there was no... Uh, merchandise van from Cricket Australia outside Driver Avenue, outside the ground yesterday in Sydney. That says to me that uh, no, no, it's a form of defeatism to, to, to the code at the moment and, and to that brand of the game. Like, on one hand, CA are asking uh, Cricket New South Wales and the government to bid for the test match and put money in. But on the other hand, I just sense there's not a lot of promotion there at the moment for, for this form of the game. So, yeah, it's it's in a pretty vacuous space. I mean, we can't... We talked up the Test Series and we gave it the most luxurious praise, which it deserves. But that, yesterday was an average game on an average deck. And, uh, you know, it just felt nothing more than that. So I'm a, I'm a Melbourneian. Uh, there were two Victorians who could have made their international debut at the MCG on Friday, which seemed to make a lot of sense to me, notwithstanding that selectors don't feel it's their remit to appease the public or we'd have changing teams all the time. Um, and then they made their debut at the SCG. Surely I'm not the only one who sees the missed marketing opportunity there. Yeah, it, it's a fair point. I'll only meet you. I'll meet you in the middle, Jared. But yep. mitigating circumstances. I mean, Travis Head played in the first game, which is why Fraser McGurk didn't. I mean, he was the player of the World Cup. They had a look at him and realised he needed a rest, and off he went. So McGurk, Fraser McGurk, came in. I get that. And sure, uh, you know, Xavier Bartlett uh, played, had a wonderful debut in Melbourne. That could have been Will Sutherland. What I will say is, I think in the current state of 50-over cricket, they've got to be more mindful of these things in 50-50 calls. When it's a flip of the coin, think, oh, that could work, and let's get it out early. Come and see these two guys. Put them up to the media the day before. Let's promote this game. As I said, I just don't like the defeatism towards 50-over cricket at the moment in terms of, ah, yeah, it's just sort of there. If you've got a promotional thread use it and there are mitigating circumstances why this didn't happen and if 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 you had a selector on the line he would say hey we don't this is australia we don't pick teams to to please the public but yep. in the current environment in a 50-50 call i can see why your point is justified when you were going to play him anyway any so okay so five balls 10 runs I reckon just a if if you're one who struggled with Maxwell Ball over the last generation, I'm not sure what you're in for with Fraser McGurk, but a wild yeah. swing play and miss, 
a spar outside the off stump to a ball that you would typically leave, jump down the pitch slap of boundary, lift the most majestic ball up into the top deck of the SCG and then make the same mistake three balls later and nick off outside the off stump. You, you're going to need you're going to need a lot of faith, I reckon, for the McGurk journey and it might have a big payoff if you've got the patience for it. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, try and float a random theory past you. Yep. Um, he's been playing, of course, in Dubai with David Warner, who likes him, and that's a big thing because Warner is a hard marker. But I was thinking, if he went, that'll be me. Because <laughs> it was that sort of purpose, wasn't it? That rampaging, rampant intent. And I don't mind it. The good thing about McGurk, I mean, let's let's have a let's analyse him. All right. The good thing about Fraser McGurk is, like Maxwell and like Warner, he's just got a zest for the big stage. He wants to be there. He wants to be the showman with twenty three in his back and just just have a feeling that that you know that that he rises with the game and takes it with us. The other side is, it's very rare to succeed in cricket unless you've got a second and third gear which is what he hasn't got at the moment. Um, he's good, and he can hit a ball from you know Melbourne to Adelaide, but yeah. how long you can hit the ball doesn't guarantee success in cricket. In first-class cricket, Jake's only averaging 22, and I think he's, he's hit 515 runs, including 64s and 10-6s. So that's 300 <laughs> worth of boundaries. So he can find the fence. But yeah. the underestimated thing about David Warner as a player, and that's the prototype for Fraser McGurk, is he did have second and third gear, and he knew when to use it, you know. He wasn't all uh, champagne pops and, and powder kegs, you know. He had that, but uh, so it's that second gear. I, I, if I was Fraser McGurk, I'd be looking at a guy like Jack, uh, Zach Crawley, who's batting tonight for England. I love this guy as a batsman. He, he punishes the bad ball like, better than just about anyone else in the game and he's improving his defense his defense as well so he's an interesting study i so hope fraser mcgurk succeeds because i think cricket needs him to just entrance the next generation jared your thoughts yeah, so I think he's not ready for international cricket yet in his skill set and his understanding of the nuance, but this was a down payment on the future. It was a way of trying to fast track it. And it will be his capacity to learn that is ultimately going to dictate how soon and how far he's able to go through the various formats. It struck me as a bit of a... And this is where I felt the contradiction was. He felt like a bit of a reality TV selection for this is right through the BBL. He was the emerging star of it. It's the television broadcasts of Renegades games were built around his presence and his capabilities. And it sort of, it, it, it almost forced the hand is ride that momentum and put him in while he's in this sort of form. But at international cricket, I thought that snapshot of yesterday is he was clearly nervous at the start and, and juiced up, but, but he made the same error twice. So you have to learn from that at that top level and you've got to learn really quickly. That, that, that's my sort of working thesis on him. I don't know what he'll become, but the raw materials, uh, they're so exciting that they can't be ignored. Now... They have to be nurtured and cultivated, I think, to see what your product actually is. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a good point. And, and 
players sometimes can be a victim of promotion. I remember when Stephen Waugh was coming through as a young guy, everyone said, oh, here he is, the damn buster. You know, the guy who's going to shake the room and all this. And he tried to play that way. And then Stephen was dropped, of course, and went back. And it was the best thing that ever happened to him because he said, actually, I'm going to play the way I want to play. And, and then he just surged to greatness. The difference between him and Fraser McGurk is Fraser McGurk seems to want to be the, that, the showman, you know, the big hitter, you know, the power player. And, and Jared, young guys know now you can be one or two innings away from a PL contract. I mean, you can change you can change your life in about three dynamic innings these days. Whereas you look at the road to Australian selection, and and, and you you know it it's can be infinitely more challenging. So this is the cricketer of the future. A mate of mine who coaches a state team said that he sees it in all their goals now. He said 20 years ago, my goal would be, and you see it written down at the start of the season, to take five for in a Sheffield Shield. Now it's sort of to get an IPL deal or, a, you know, to be a T20 deal somewhere. So the world's changing, and, and, and but you still, before you can have your fancy pavlova, most yeah. often you've got to have some roast beef and veggies in your game <laughs> somewhere. It, it just, that's the game. It has been the game for 100 years. Yeah, this and this is the millennials' version of it. So I'm so interested to see how that pans out. I thought uh, Will Sutherland to me, he looks a ready-made international cricketer. He's got the right temperament and the skills for it. I, I can see, uh, I, I can see his career blossoming. Yeah, he's a nice, robust player, isn't he? And, and you know, and. He took the big decision to, to join cricket when he could have been a you know potential AFL star. And, Jared, I tell you, <laughs> cricket was so worried about that because being yeah. James Sutherland's son, they, uh, they probably over-fretted it. You know, they were saying, oh, gosh, what if he goes to AFL? How does that look for us? But, uh, you know, people would have copped it. But he, he's a nice, strong personality, young Victorian captain. Um, I think he'll be a really good white ball player for Australia. But... It's so hard for a bowling all-rounder to crack a test team. And yeah. this is the challenge behind Sean Abbott, who was terrific last night, and Will Sutherland, and why Aaron Hardy has a slight advantage over them. He's a batting all-rounder. Because how many bowling all-rounders get in there for Australia? Like James Faulkner, for a couple of seasons, was probably one of the best white ball cricketers in the world. And he played one test because he was always up against a high quality. He had to get in either 8, 9, 10 or 11. And he, and he, and he couldn't do it. And, and that's the challenge behind Will Sutherland. He's, a, he's prop, more of a bowler than a batsman at this stage. And as Michael Nessa and plenty of guys found out before him, if you're more of a bowler than a batsman, in test cricket at least, it's very hard to crack. Different if you're playing for New Zealand. You know, Michael Nisa would have played 50 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. But for Australia, you've got to get in ahead of Stark, Hazelwood or Cummins. We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. You mentioned New Zealand, the test match unfolding there. England and India in a pitted battle in test number two that India hold the advantage of. But if you've got the imagination for baseball, then tonight might be a night for it. Plus the place of the ODIs in the modern 
Australian summer. A lot of your thoughts. You can join in with Crash 1300 736 736 and the 40 Wings temper text is 0433 98 11 16. Temper a mattress like no other. Uh, just get, I'll, I'll share the weather forecast with you in, in Melbourne uh, shortly, bringing up to speed there. It's a, bit, it's a bit rainy here in Las Vegas today after a couple of days of beautiful sunshine. More of Crash next. Yeah, it was. It was, it was a nice finish. Um, it, was a, it was a challenging start to the game. The West Indies bowled quite well early on. It was, it was a pretty tri- tricky surface, but um, you know, our, our late middle order did a terrific job. I thought Sabah played beautifully. Um, Southo played nicely and, and Shorty as well. So it was, it was good to get a few partnerships there, and I thought 250 was probably around par. And then, yeah, we came out and, and did the job really nicely with the ball. Steve Smith, who captained Australia. So the, the two games are one with another to come in Canberra tomorrow. Uh, Crash, you just had a reference to the substandard Sydney pitch? Yeah, I, I just watching it again, Jared, and, and you know, I, I always uh, love a turning deck or a dusty deck, but there's a, there's a line between that sort of deck and a pretty ordinary deck, and I just think Sydney year after year, it was good for this season's test. I gave them a tick for that. It's the best SCG wicket for a while, but it's a uh, it's a nothing burger pitch. Like, it was slow yes. and hard work yesterday. And, and for, for the grandiose ground that it is, you know, historically just a, such a, a touch point for Australian cricket, to have a deck which is just bare average every year. Like, I'd love to see it turn outrageously to get us ready yep, for yep. subcontinental cricket. That that would that would perform something, you know, a wicket with a difference. Shave it off. But... At the moment, just this slowish, slowish thing. Oh, gosh, you know, it's uh, it gets there despite itself. Let's just put it that way. It's <laughs> yeah, a nice description. Um, do, what did we learn about Australian players? So, Sean Abbott is so ready to be a starter in that Australian eleven, and he's obviously um, the one behind the, the three iconic quicks who bowl at the moment. Uh, and Xavier Bartlett, that was a great little start after some really impressive T20 cricket. Yeah, he's been playing no shield cricket at all because he had a back problem last year and they rest him. And and I must admit, they've managed him really well. Old-fashioned swing bowler who, uh, just the low 130s, but a really confident and quietly relaxed sort of lad. And uh, he just had England written all over him. I mean, we've said yeah. it so many times, it was a major disappointment that a guy like Damien Fleming, our finest swing bowler of his generation, never played a test in Indi- in England. But I think, you know, down the track, Bartlett will there somewhere. He's in his mid-20s. He's former Australian under-19. And uh, during the day before he made his debut, uh, and it was a terrific debut, four wickets and what was it, 17 runs, the, the buzz up here was very much, uh, Bartlett will be right. He's just a, just a, a really uh, measured, sort of calm player who just, just knows your touch points of his game. And didn't he look the pro? You know, he was a terrific debut, really was. And Abbott's just, just so ready for a regular spot in international cricket. Yeah, he's once again, it's that interesting spot that he's campaigning for that sort of bowling all-rounder which is never easy to crack but he's certainly got a lot of what he's really improved his first class numbers are sort of okay but don't represent the standard that he is like he's averaging in the low 30s per wicket 
and in the early 20s as a batsman. Now, that doesn't scream out test cricketer to me, but he's better than that. And over the last couple of years, he's improved that. He's just... He's just got that Michael Nisa sort of sheen about him at domestic cricket, hasn't he? Where just he's got the game in hand, and <clears throat> and I thought he was terrific with bat and ball yesterday. Hopefully, he'll get many chances because he's had a, you know, it's it's there's been a whole generation there, Jared, haven't they, that have been kept uh, just one step from glory by by yeah, a yeah. high achieving Australian team who've been pretty immovable for the last decade. Uh, coming through, I'm obviously in the minority, but I still like watching the one-dayers on TV better than the Big Bash. I don't go to any of them. I just watch them on telly and have a preference for the 50-over game. Uh, Jared, what are your thoughts on McGurk opening over Matt Short? I think McGurk is going to be a star, but Short has dominated at the top for three years, and they chose Fraser McGurk. Uh, who has had a handful of good innings at the top, doesn't make much sense to me. That that one I reckon I can answer is Matt Short is going to be in the 50-over team for the foreseeable future, but he's going to be a middle-order player rather than an opener. So rather than toss him up to a position that he may very well have flourished at yesterday, but that's not going to be his place in the lineup. I think they're going to model him as a, a middle-order player. So they gave McGurk a look at the top for the, the sheer thrill of it, knowing that he's not about to become the 50-over opener. So I feel like that was more moulding short for what's to come, Crash. That, that's that's what I think there. Yeah, I, I like short too. He, he, he's uh, They do have big plans. And he's sort of in a generation all by himself a little bit. He's, uh, I think, 28 years old. He, you know, he pl- made his first, grade, uh, first class debut about a decade ago. And Australia is very, very thin in batting depth in that generation. I mean, have a look at Cam Green in the test team. He's got no player five years either side of him. That, yeah, yeah. That's 29. So that's why Australia has Project Matt Short. You know, his first-class numbers aren't great. His white ball uh, numbers are excellent. And they are They will, you're right, in the middle order, they'll try and make something of him. He's just in a, in a, in a little sweet spot where there's basically him and very few rivals. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. Let's check in the newsroom and join Nathan. Nathan, thank you. Crash, there's a spate of messages coming through. One is, why on earth is Cam Green playing in a pointless one-day series when he could be playing shield cricket prior to going to New Zealand? That's Johnny Max. They've made the decision, haven't they, to hold him back from the white ball games in New Zealand to give him a bit of shield cricket? Yes, they have. And, And he's just... He's searching for it at the moment, Cam. And and the vibe I'm getting, Jared, is that he's feeling... Do you know when a guy's reputation exceeds his results? Like, I come on your show most weeks and give him a big rap, and he hasn't yeah. quite get there yet, has he? So they're trying to just get his confidence up in the international game, all the while letting him, you know, uh, build a base at, at Shield Cricket. But these are important tests in New Zealand for Cam Green. They really are. Um, you know, it, it's, it's as you said, and, and it was a good point you made last week, Cam Green, as much as we love him, can't just be a 30s and 40s batsman if you're batting number four for Australia. That is prime real estate. You know, that's a position, you know, occupied by the likes of Greg Chappell over the years. You know, you... you you, you, you're not just the supplementary all-rounder. You, you are expected to perform an average 40-plus, you know. So 
big expectations. But, Jared, I, I must say, I, I love the way your show pokes into all little different corners around Australia. I got a lovely email during the week from one of the chefs at the MCG, Jimmy <laughs> Wong, who the boys were listening to it and, and how much they, when you started on about Fraser McGurk, it started a discussion amongst them about how many cricketers have hyphens in their names and they all <laughs> they attacked the computers and came up with Chuck Fleetwood Smith 100 years ago. And I thought, <laughs> you just never, I mean, this is, I loved it in the, in the MCG. So, Jimmy Wong, if you're there, boys, uh, the only thing I could tell you about Chuck Fleetwood Smith was he was a very debonair left-arm wrist spinner High society, really handsome guy, but sadly died in poverty, living in a, beside a street in Richmond where he could actually see the MCG in his last days. Very sad story, wow. but uh, yeah. I just thought, Jared, you never know who's listening. No, that's great, Crash. That's great. All right, I want to talk about India and England and New Zealand and South Africa, the, the two test matches which you can hear on the SEN app as they unfold. Melbourne's weather mostly cloudy at top of 21. This summer be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Two test matches happening at the moment, uh, the most intriguing of which is in India. So England's 1-0 leaders in the series, a win that was spoken about as perhaps England's greatest ever. India hit back hard, 396, bowled England out for 253, put up 255 in the third innings, and the target for victory is an improbable 399. But that's not to dismiss what this England force is under Basball. One for 67. Crash, do you have the imagination for it? Oh, I'd love to see it happen. I mean, honestly, Jared, credit where it's due. Now, now I know everyone wants us to bag Basball. I'm not going to do it. I, they've taken this unproven spin combination, guys like Rian Ahmed and Tom Hartley, who are labouring away with Jack Leach out of the team, and they're a puncher's chance of going 2-0 up. It's extraordinary, and uh, as I've said to you, my favourite batsman to watch in the world at the moment, Zach Crawley. Like he's, he gets out there and he rumbles away for England at the top of the order with, uh, you know, and with Ben Duckett, who's half his size, and just watching him have a midfield mid-pitch conversation. Gee, it's funny. It really is. These two, <laughs> the odd and the even. You know, Laurel and Hardy, they're, they're, they're incredible. But but this has been a good test. They'll probably lose tonight, England, but credit where it's due, Jimmy Anderson is a freak, Jared. Are you telling me that at age 41, he's taken five for 70 for the game with the most pristine swing bowling you've ever seen? Just barely bowled a bad ball. I mean, well, the, the game will never see anything like him again. A player who made his test taboo when two of his teammates weren't even born 22 years ago. I mean, I, I just, we could go on and on, but he yes, has been yeah. absolutely outstanding. Really, that's just freakish stuff. I don't expect him to win, but you just, the thing is with baseball, it rattles teams. All it would yes. take would be Crawley, you know, to make 150. They're only three thirty away. You, you, every every instinct says no. But if one of India's bowlers, like Jasper Brumra, who was mind blowing in the first innings, had a bad day, you never know. Can we, I just want to relive the Brumra Yorker, which is as good a Yorker as I've ever seen in Test cricket. What a ball! What a baller! Do you ever know what's coming next with Jasprit Bumrah? And he's knocked over someone. 
who's played 55 balls with as gorgeous a Yorker as any you will see. Ollie Pope was the victim. It's enhanced crash by the fact that the stumps fly in India. So two stumps uprooted by as good a Yorker as there's ever been. Oh, uh, yeah. And Phil Brown, the photographer, took a great snap that one of his best ever. He's been on the circuit for 20 years. But, Jared, the interesting thing behind that Yorker, every cricketer has a skill that comes is particular to their own backyard and their circumstances. In the, the war boys, Steve and Mark, when they were growing up, their backyard shaped towards their legs. It sloped down. So balls were always cutting into their pads. So they're, they're the best two leg side players of their generation. They, they just learnt that. Matthew Hayden, when he was growing up and playing indoors, there was a glass window at point, which his mother said, if you break that, I will break you. So he <laughs> never played the cut shot. Did you notice that? Haydos, yeah. in all those years, he just, he never played as a kid. He couldn't break the window. He never played. So it's a one shot he never played. Now, Jasper Boomerah, when he was growing up, he bowled inside a room where the he aimed where the wall connected with the floor. And if he bowled the ball perfectly for his Yorker, it would spit back at him at, at, at about head height. So he just bowled for hours and hours, perfecting this Yorker with his quirky action and, and in a backyard too, where he had a limited run up. That's why he's got a short run up. And, and that ball it, it became his million dollar delivery. It was, it, it swung in about 16 centimeters. It was extraordinary. <laughs> it was. He is quite something, Jared, this lad. So it, much mean, of what's happened. Yeah. Uh, uh, overseas, I was just going to say, He's played 34 tests, I think, and 28 of them have been overseas, where he's averaging 21 per wicket. So he's great overseas. And everyone said, oh, I wonder how he'll go at home. Well, got a bit of news for you. After six tests at home, he's averaging 12 per wicket. So we, we are seeing the most underrated bowler of his generation, for sure. So, so much of what's happening here has implications for Australian summers to come with India next and England after that. So, Jace Wells' double century, he looks like he's absolutely nailed down opening, which has moved Shubman Gill to three, and he made a, a third innings century, and Boomer's bowling like that. So, I know your mind was drawn just to the open pondering, oh, if, in, if India are going to get beaten at home, what does that mean? Is it's, This is so entrancing for what it might mean on these shores. Yeah, it was fascinating. I, I did a piece on the, the amazing statistic that Joe Root had scored more runs than the entire Indian team with Virat Kohli out of the team and also Jadeja out. So this team is changing. And I still believe... I, I'm expecting India to probably lose tonight. Uh, sorry, England. But that doesn't change my thinking that a door is opening here for Australia this Indian team is just about ready to change. They've still got Boomer, who's superb. Good. Don't worry, they're not an easy get. But I think Australia, they're like Australia. When India plays Australia next summer, the battle will be who can keep father time at bay because they're both ageing teams. Um, I know Shubram Gill scored a century in this test. I'm still unconvinced about him. His batting average should have floats was 29 before this test he'd had a lot of chances yeah sure he fired up in the second innings against a modest spin attack but the jury's still out in him for mine so i reckon they're gettable next summer in australia australia would have to think that 
I was at a cricket match where Tomo bowled a bloke and the stump hurtled past Rod Marsh like a javelin. The most underestimated sight in cricket are stumps flying, and I love how they do that in India. Mozza from Cobden's got the right idea. I must say I really enjoy it when there's multiple test matches on at the same time. Could we have test windows during the year where T20 tournaments can't be held? So this is a glimpse into the future. We had that the magnificent Gabba test in concert with the first test in India. Now we've got a new Zealand tests marrying up almost, not quite to the day, but marrying up at the same time. I do feel really strongly this is the future crash. There'll be windows for test cricket and we'll have three or four going around the world and they'll all be lined up and it'll be great for the long format of the game. Yeah, absolutely. And they do that in rugby union, Jared, and uh, it, it works out quite well. Like everyone gets together for their tests and everyone plays their domestic competition. So it's, uh, it, it's a good suggestion. It's hard to do because the T20 world is so fragmented and every different nation seems to have a different idea of what works for them. And of course, the IPL is gone. <laughs> no one touches tampers with it but it will happen down the track I, I think i think you're on the money there and just while you're there jared how's the buzz around the rugby league opening in vegas have you yes. uh, i dare say you've been swamped by it since you've landed but because uh, so we're talking about the yeah. super bowl and <laughs> i've kept an eye out for signs of home right crash so there's the outback steakhouse which i'm told is not terribly authentic it does give an idea that americans have no idea what uh, australian cuisine is there was Australia's Thunder from Down Under, which is tagged Girls' Night Outback at the Excalibur. So I'll let your imagination figure out what style of show that is. But, but nothing yet on the NRL that uh, I've come across. Well, I think it must be having a late blitz. Well, and, and which they will. I wouldn't be wanting to yeah. take on Super Bowl either just quietly. But uh, I'm, I'll be interested to see what lobs over the next few days. Uh, maybe a closing word. I will say, so New Zealand is uh, three for 321. I can't believe South Africa sent New Zealand in with the C squad that they've got there. That just felt bad. Uh, Kane Williamson made a century and Ravindra is 164 not out. But can Crash, can I just get a closing word on the, the AB medal um, with Mitch Marsh and just how... His place, both in the national affection and his cricketing legacy, has changed so dramatically over a couple of years. Yeah, and, and you stuck in there with him, Jared, didn't you? You always liked him as a guy. There was always two Mitch Marshes, wasn't there? The, the Mitch Marsh that, that, that everyone said was a you know, really nice guy and so easy to talk to and... Uh, you know, I know plenty of... He was the one guy out of the current team that never fell out with the old players over Justin Langer because you could see both sides. But I reckon he sacrificed $3 million to play for Australia. You know, he wanted to be a test player. He knocked back IPL deals at times because he said, there's, there's something within me that I've just got to give maximum chance to. So it's a, it's a, it's a lovely story and, and what the game's all about. Uh, the AB medal was a terrific ceremony the other night. My only surprise was that there was nothing for Kawaja, Test Player of the Year. I felt that was, you know, I was staggered he, he didn't win that. Well done to Nathan Lyon for doing it, but I just think Kawaja was sort of, uh, I mean, for an opening batsman to score over 1,000 runs at age 36, 37 was, was quite staggering. But uh, you're right about New Zealand, Jared. Um, I couldn't believe they were sending to bat either. They've got a weak team, South Africa. And it, but every time I hear the name Ration Ravindra, 
I tremember <laughs> because I was on your show last year yes. and I got stuck with his name and I couldn't <laughs> say it. And at the time, my journo mates were in India and they, they thought it was so funny, they taped it. Me going, ruh, 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 ruh. And, and every time they were down, apparently, they would replay it. It's just a way of picking themselves up. So I thought, I'm good for something after all, even if it's only the bloopers tape. <laughs> I did nothing to help you on that occasion and I've regretted it ever since. I crash no. it. It's great to chat. Good on you. Good on you, Jared. Enjoy it and uh, say good day to Elvis for a miss, mate. And uh, <laughs> uh, that David Copperfield, I can't believe that story. Well done and enjoy the week. Thank you. Terrific. The wisdom and experience of Robert Craddock. A few of your thoughts after our cricket conversation with Crash. The secret to getting stumps flying is to drop a little olive oil in the stump holes before putting the stumps in. Umpires hate it. Uh, morning, Jared. Should we minimise our ODI games until the year before a World Cup. Instead of a lot of meaningless ODIs, we could have had a gripping third test decider against the West Indies, David from Ballarat. I just love you guys talking cricket and 100% agree with the guy who texts through one day cricket is far superior to Big Bash and it is a travesty how it is being left to wither on the vine. That's from Steph. Uh, Cricket Australia are price gouging and shocking scheduling with this series. And funny, funny you say that, Crash. When I was a kid, our window was on square leg side. I was great defensively because mum threatened me never to hit the window. But my pull shot didn't really exist as a kid. Defensively, I could block to the onside. But I was brilliant at the cut shot, which was wide and open. And I played that all the time. That is from Grant. I think there's been a book written about our elite cricketers and, and some of their backyard configurations and how it morphed into their into their international game. At some of what happened on the weekend in sport at home, uh, the racing was so interesting. Remember in our Something for the Battlers in the Spring Means Test, John O'Neill gave us Jimmy Starr, and sure enough, he, he won his first couple. Well, he returned the race in a Caulfield. We mentioned this on Thursday and was quite dominant. For Jimmy Starr, one slap, two slaps. It's two in front of Who Dares. And Jimmy Starr's going to power away. This is a nice horse. Jimmy Starr won it well from Who Dares and Forbidden City. Don't say we weren't warned. Now, what this has led to is Jimmy Starr's been prompted into the All-Star Mile. Remember, this is the race that's changed from the public vote to a hand-picked field. And racing's architects are trying to put together the most exciting field possible. And now Jimmy Starr is going to be part of this. Some are declaring that that is premature and skipping steps. I'm all for it. This is not a Group 1 race. This is a novelty race. Put the horses who are creating the most interest in it and see what unfolds. John O'Neill's just ducked down from Giddy Up. He's the owner of Jimmy Star. Welcome, John. Congratulations. Morning. Thanks, Jared. Yeah, it was uh, was a wonderful win on the weekend, and, um, you know, we're, uh, we're all riding the hype, mate, at the moment. And I've got Gareth to come in as well. Hello, dear Gareth. Hello, Jared. How's Vegas treating you? We're, we're a little jealous uh, yeah. of Giddy Up. We would love Pretty to good. have been there at Vegas. <laughs> Wayne Hawks and Johnny That's O'Neill running I could just see you at uh, Excess <laughs> Nightclub. You would have been good up on the podium there at the swimming pool last night at, uh, at Encore. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there's some of what's not going to be. Some of it will remain a mystery to me, John. Um, <laughs> Did you did you know you were racing for a place in the All Star Mile on Saturday? No, he didn't, mate. Um, look, he did trial pretty well the other day, and um, you know we've obviously got a pretty high opinion of the horse. But 
Uh, great initiative, I think, from um, from Racing Vic to sort of get in and, and as you say, Jared, let's try to get the best hyped up um, race that we possibly can. Um, you know, do we go on and take on the champs at uh, at set weights? Well, we'll wait and see. Gareth, is it is it the right thing for racing or is it overstepping? I think it is. I agree with both of you. I think that this is a race that needs um, attention and needs to be done a little bit differently. So it's a little bit like, and Matt Welsh joined me, the GM of racing on Giddy Up this morning, Jared. And remember, I wish I win didn't get into the Turak and he was at the bottom of the ratings and he was Australia, one of Australia's most exciting horses at the time. And, um, and I can understand why he didn't get in because he needed to earn his spot in a handicap race like this. But when you've got a race like the All-Star Mile and you dictate how you want this race to be um, run and you dictate how you want this race, what, what it's all about, then you need to put the most exciting horses in this race. And Jimmy's the star is one, one of those horses at the moment. Now, the big question is, Johnny, is whether you go or not. And you sat on the fence on Giddy Up. Surely you can give Jared the exclusive on this show. All I can say is, come we're on, working... are you going to run, John? Yeah, look, I think you know we're going to work pretty closely with Kieran. There's a ratings race or a or a listed in a couple of weeks, Jared, at Flemington over over fourteen hundred. So, um, Aussie and Maddie Becker and the team and Kieran will sit down and work out where we go there. Um, obviously, there's a Doncaster handicap in Sydney too that we're um, we're reasonably keen at having a look at and. You know, the question is, if we do win the listed, do we get enough rating points and enough weight to actually get in the Doncaster? Um, Jared, as you would know, um, you know, if if we were running in the Doncaster against Mr. Brightside, it'd probably have 62 and a half, 63, and we'd have 50 or 51. So, yeah. so yep. there's a fair bit of weight to give away there. Having said that, it's a great opportunity for us. The point that you make is 100% right. It's a it's an invitation sort of restricted race with some of the better horses in the country and we're trying to hype it up. So I think at the end of that, it'll come down to Oz and, and exactly what um, what Kieran wants to do. And if we think it's the right thing for the horse on the way through, um, sure, I think we go there. Um, if if we are to win that, does it get us in the Doncaster? We're not sure mm. because it is a restricted <laughs> yes. race. I mean, the yep, interesting yep. thing is we're a 77 Raider as we were joking about this morning, he probably goes up five or six points, I suppose. So he's probably a, a low 80s Raider now against 115 Raider. If you, were to, if you were to be competitive in All-Star Mile, you would imagine you could get into a Doncaster without much weight. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see. Look, it's a great it, problem it, to have, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It, it, is he good enough to, to have a dash at them? Yeah, look, I think uh, – and I had a really good chat um, we were saying this morning with Hawksy because everyone's sort of talking about it and – the open conversation we had this morning, Jared, was exactly the conversation that Ozzy, myself and Kieran had yesterday. Um, you know, the, the scenario is he's, he's a young, progressive horse, hasn't had many starts, got a wonderful um, will to win. There's no doubt about that. Um, is he good enough? You wouldn't want to miss a start a length and a half like he did on Saturday in, a, in an all-star mile or a group one or a Doncaster, I wouldn't have thought. So he's still learning his trade, Jared. Um, he was a very, very busy horse um, when he came over. And um, one of the strappers who works at Kieran's Ash Jarvis is a, is a terrific young lady and she's really calmed him down, which is good. So he's getting better all the time. Blake Shin's got an amazing affiliation with him. So Blake's obviously very keen for him to go to the All-Star Mile because yeah. Blakey wouldn't be able to make the weight in the Doncaster. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, look, I, I, look, I think longer term, Jared, he's going to be a really nice horse, but... As you've seen over the journey, and we all have, they've got to do it, right? So a lot of horses 
go through and win two, three or four in a row, and then they really need to step up. Do we think he can do it? We're hoping he can, yeah. Yeah, cheerio to Sulcum with another horse missing the start in Johnny O'Neill's cars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Gareth, uh, so this is an important running of the All-Star Mile because this is where it changes. Its, yep. its foundation principle was the public vote and it didn't deliver absolute quality fields. It delivered the novelty if you could get your, your horse in. Now, Racing Victoria takes full control of who they want there for the most star-studded race that they can. So... They're on trial to a degree as to whether they can deliver the hype horses to this year's event. And unfortunately, they lost Alligator Blood, who injured himself last week. So he's out for at least 12 months. So he was the horse that they could market along with Mr. Brightside, the two great warriors going at it once again in a, in a race like an all-star mile. Um, when you have a look at the market, you've got Mr. Brightside at 350. Fangirl's unlikely to go there. She's at $9. Jimmy's Star's now the second, equal second favourite. And Pride of Jenny is at $9. Now, she should be shorter than Jimmy's Star because Pride of Jenny was the in-form weight for age horse over a middle distance at the end of the Flemington Carnival. So um, she's got the wild card as well. A tissue maybe, but then it drops away. Legato didn't win the qualifying race in New Zealand. She was defeated as a $1.10 favourite. Orchestral won't be going. Amelia's Jewel won't be going. So... It does lack a little bit depth. Now, I don't think that's Racing Victoria's fault. I just think that's the way that racing is at the, uh, these days in, in, in Australia. Depth-wise for our middle distance gallopers, there's just not enough quality horses that can go to an all-star mile and then obviously go to Sydney for the big carnivals there or the big races yeah. during their carnival. Yeah, yeah. So M Melbourne's got to be in the fight with the yep. best field that they can. Um, so racing circles are clearly abuzz with the trial of Imperatrice, mm. champion sprinter, and was just average, I yes. take it, Gareth. Yeah, she was a little bit plain, but we had Ben Gleeson, who was good enough to join us for the means test to give us an update on her. And he said, because she tr she was at home and it was a hot day yesterday, she can get a little bit lazy. And that's what he has thought that's happened today. She was just lazy in her trial. Now, she got left behind against a couple of nice horses like I Am Unstoppable and Bella Nipotina and um, Passive Aggressive and their quality Group 1 horses. But he says, don't worry about what she did there today. She'll be a different horse come Flemington in just over two weeks' time. So we might get a better prize for her now. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, he put cold water on anything to okay. suggest that she, she she's not at her best this preparation. But, Johnny, you know that these can be a little bit unnerving behind closed doors, can't they? You put the best facade on publicly that you can, but if you're going to trial them, you actually want them to go okay. Yeah, look, I think that's right. One thing that we will take out of the Cranbourne trials, and, um, you know, it's important that we do have opportunities for horses to be able to go on show and get fit and get organised, Jared. but the Cranbourne trials are traditionally all about horses that are massive on pace, close to the rail, I mean, there's obviously been some challenges with some of the Cranbourne trials with the track, with the with the weather and stuff. So we've generally get, you know, pretty heavy tracks up there too. So, Jared, in this instance, and from a from a fitness perspective, I really like the Cranbourne trials, but I don't really take too much notice of the results there. Um, it would be interesting to see from some other form guys um, exactly what they thought. But, you know, this uh, she clearly was off the horses. The other horses, we're not 100% sure whether they were there to have a really hard trial. Was she just there to have a look? She looked like she trialled pretty good to me. And, Jared, the last furlong, 
she ran ten six. So I don't I don't really know what else anybody wants her to do. So she okay. wasn't she's not there to win the group one, you know, today. So I would be imagine you know, I would imagine that the champion that she is, she'll come to the fore and um and, and she'll be very hard to beat. Um I was just out of Sydney. So I got sent a private message about our Kobe son. Mm-hmm. Um, how impressive was it in Sydney on Saturday? Well, he's very good. Angela Davies has got a, a wonderful strike rate. She trains at Gosford and she does a, a great job with her team. He's a progressive type. Um, he's still got to take a couple of extra steps to to mix it with some better class of thoroughbreds going forward, Jared. But he's done nothing wrong and he's been placed perfectly. So... Um, He'll be tested in the next couple of starts, I would imagine, but he is on the right track. A very nice horse, oh, I think. Yeah. Very nice horse. I've got one for yeah. you, Jarrett. Yeah. We identified we identified her today on Giddy Up. It was thirteen dollars in the Blue Diamond, the markets, and now she's in. So, so sorry, we we we, we left you out here on Waitley. But, <laughs> right, thanks um, a lot. It's into six dollars <laughs> fifty now with Bet Three Six Five. Lady of Camelot. She's like, have you ever seen Not a domination, Jared? Well, and, and, and on Bet Three Six Five Six Fifty on yeah. the tote. Now we're qualifying who's going there at the tab. Yeah, she's into four fifty. Oh, okay, there you oh. go. So, Jared, yeah. you know, um. Have you seen a domination? I know Wayne brings this up, Gareth. You forgot about Johnny Hawks, who set a record in the Commonwealth for two-year-old winners in a season. But Gay Waterhouse yeah, yeah. and Adrian Bott, I, I just, I'm in, a, I'm amazed of what they've been able to do with their juveniles. Um, this, this, it's extraordinary. It's just like they're, they're the only ones training two-year-olds. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm barracking against it now, given okay. what you've just done. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so J- Johnny, you've got the Blue Diamond winner, don't you? The, the thing that won on Cox Plate Day? Yeah, so it's, yeah. Uh, it trialled really well on what, Friday. What, just remind me the name. Bold Bastille. Yeah, that's right. Bold yep. Bastille. Had a setback, so. Jared. Can't win. Yeah, had a setback oh. about three and a half months ago or something. Everyone's stressed <laughs> about it. But anyway, look, um, Mark Zara went and trialled at Friday. Trialled really well down the straight. Um, it'll be very interesting to see. And, Jared, you know, betting pre post in these early markets is always just a bit of a challenge with the, the way the tracks are playing. And we saw on Saturday again, no wind, quite a warm day, and it was pretty firm and hard against the rail nine metres out where you needed to be. So depending on how the track plays, I would understand why Lady of Camelot would have been so heavily back because it is a, a forward running mm-hmm. horse. We're out to $9, but we'll go around in the prelude on... Um, on Saturday, Jared would be pretty hard to beat, I think. Um, okay. I know Mark was pretty complimentary, and JD and Benny seemed pretty upbeat. So I will say, though, that the Colt Coleman, um, Matty Laurie's horse, won very, very well on the weekend. He looks like a beast. So probably him, Lady of Camelot. Snowden's horse, High Octane, won really well the week before. And I thought Anisa coming from the back ran really well to Peter, Peter and Catherine's horse um, on the weekend. So, it's look, it's going to be a much tougher race than... We anticipated. I think a lot of people sort of headed down to Melbourne thinking it might be an easier option than the slipper. But I think you're going to find Coleman, Lady of Camelot, High Octane, Anisa and Bold Bastille will all be very hard to beat. All right, all right. We're building a list at the moment. Dad had Unusual Pearl look terrific on Friday night at the Valley. Mm. Infatuation, she's been building to that win in Sydney. And I know Glory Days... Beat me, I wasn't happy about that either. I wasn't happy about right. that. I had little salt coats <laughs> sweeping down the middle at it, and there it is, your yeah. old man swinging off it. Jared's no old good. man's got you covered in the stakes these has, days. He has, he has. That's saying so something. The, the, the my racehorse colours are going super. Um, are you a? Do either have you played craps before, Johnny? Uh, I have played craps. Yep. 
I've had the crap. I've had the crap after a bad Indian food. Sorry about that. Jolie and I think we we're not Vegas guys, but we could be craps guys. Have you got any 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 tips? You know what I would do? Don't have a drink. You probably don't anyway. So definitely don't drink while you're gambling. That's one thing I can tell you while you're right. playing craps. And, uh, I don't even know what craps and, is. And sit, and sit back and watch the experts play and then tune in and have a bit of fun. Mm. That's what I'd be doing. Yeah, I wouldn't okay. be getting too so involved. We, we watched last night. That's the dice game, Gareth, that you oh, see okay. in all the movies oh, in Vegas. Yep, yep, yep. So when we, you've got to throw a seven or something, night. don't you? Seven or a seven, yeah. you're well, out. Seven, seven wiped everybody out. That's that right. much we were able to learn. Yeah, that's um, right. And the, the, uh, we love the hard way, eight the hard way or six the hard way. Yeah. So anyway, that's our learning curve for the week. Um, great to taste space with both of you. Thank you. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll do it as this um, autumn really gets going. Looking uh, forward look forward to it. to it, mate. That all stakes on Saturday, just quickly, Jerry. Brightside's into $1.90. Wow. Uh, and Pride of Jenny is $11. If the track plays the way that it yep. played on the weekend, I don't think Brightside yeah. can beat Pride of Jenny. 1,400 metres. Yeah. Takes her a little while to get into it. She'll just go straight to the front oh. and be six in front of the furlong oh. and he'll be coming and won't pick her up. She'll, she won't beat Mr. Brightside, Johnny. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll I need you back, Jared. He's yeah. got spray tans <laughs> oh, oh. and waxing <laughs> and shaved head. I need your help. Please hey, come Wayne, back. Wayne was dirty got, when he was like, we're going to the stable. So we're going nah, on to Wednesday. talk to Jared. Yeah, I know, yeah. but he was dirty that he missed out still. I think He's nah, still out the front looking for an opportunity. You would have seen his attire this morning. Yeah. He wouldn't have been in playing craps with you. He looked crap, Jared. That's what he looked. I Need to know a bit more about Vegas before I front up to Wayne. Good on you. Thanks Cheers to the interview. All the best. Uh, Johnny O'Neill's got Jimmy Starr, who's been invited to the All-Star Mile, and Gareth Hall, who's just finished Giddy Up, the means test. Every Monday, it's there on his podcast. Uh, Melbourne's weather, mostly cloudy at top of 21. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. Give us a shout now, one 736 736 all of our topics this morning, one-day cricket, its place. The test cricket being played at the moment, Crash's thoughts there. The Socceroos, but particularly we want a lesson in craps now for our, our casino ventures over the next couple of days in Vegas. We would be indebted if you could school us on how we should be doing it. This time next week, we will be broadcasting Super Bowl 58. Ben Graham and Larry Fitzgerald Sr. will be in the broadcast box at the stadium, the, the, it's really quite a stadium. We'll tell you more about that as the week goes on. Uh, Joel and I, we're not Vegas guys, but we feel like we want to play craps. If movies have taught me anything about craps, Jared, a man dressed in a full cowboy suit with accompanying hats always seems to win. So maybe go get kitted up in that outfit and you'll be right. I'm not going to take that on board, but we are looking to be schooled. Joel's got his pen and paper ready for a lesson. Now, Jason in St Albans, right at the start of the show, is ready to go. Jason, we are in your hands. Have you just been over to the States playing craps? Yeah, I spent six weeks over there and played a lot while I was over there. So quick, quick lesson, best I can do for you, right? Okay, so you're exactly okay. right what you said before. You do, not, you do not want to see a seven at all. But with that said, when the... the um, when the dice throw comes in, uh, and it's what they call coming out, if he throws a seven, then everyone on the pass line wins. But really, the truth is, you just don't want sevens because sevens um, uh, are just bad overall. Now, once the once the dice throw has hit hit his point, which will be a number be a number either four, five, um, six, eight, nine, or ten, one of them will yep. become the point. Now, what he then needs to do is he needs to roll that number again for everyone on the pass line to win. But while he's 
throwing, as long as he doesn't throw a seven, everyone that's betting on those individual numbers, four, five, six, eight, nine, and ten, every time they throw one of those numbers, everyone that's on them wins. And they keep, and they, and those numbers keep staying there. And you generally, you'll hear a lot of people. There'll be a term they use where they say press. So, let the roll has just rolled an eight, and the guy's got a bet on the eight. He says press the eight. That means he wants all the money. He wants to double up. He wants to leave his money out there for another one, potentially. And what you really need is you need a guy who's going to roll maybe for you know half an hour, forty minutes, an hour, and then you'll, you can make a lot of money. What you don't want is a point and then a seven. That just kills everyone. Now, my advice for you guys, if you're going to play, um, there's a lot of different tables there, but let's say it's a $10 table, right? I would, my thing would be you start, you bet 44 inside, which is um, 10 on the five, 12 on the six, 12 on the eight, and 10 on the nine, and you bet the bonus. And the bonus is the, the small, the tall, and the all, right? Yeah. 30 to 1 and 150 to 1. So if you get a roller that rolls for a while, you'll, you'll probably hit a small or a tall. And if they hit the all, mate, you'll hear the almighty roar because the people yeah. around have just won a lot of money. Right. So <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what we're up for, Jason. That's what we want to be a part of. All right. So, that, yeah. So, I mean, my advice would be, as I said, if you can find a, 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 a $10 minimum table, play 44 inside. That means you're betting, as I said, you're betting the five, the six, the eight and the nine, and you bet another, say, you know, three, three, go three, three, three on the bonus. That, that would be my advice for, for a beginner player. All right, Jason, terrific. So we're, we're not looking to pay for our expenses or our U2 tickets. We're just looking to be on a table for a while without it costing us too much money. So we've set our ambitions low. All right, Jason, we'll report back. We'll report back. Good man. Uh, Mark's in Yarraville with a funky Miller story. Mark, welcome. Yeah, how you going, Jared? I Very just well. I a story from, from the Windies in 99 with Funky. Uh, we're in uh, Trinidad, Port of Spain, and we're at a little pub called the Pelican. And most of the Australians were there. And um, uh, one of the Australian players was, well, he was so drunk that Funky had to carry him back to the Hilton Hotel where they were staying, just behind this pub called the Pelican. And when I was listening to Crash and he's talking about Funky doesn't go to sleep before midnight... Absolutely can confirm that. He doesn't. <laughs> the last of the nocturnal cricketers, he rather beautifully and he elegantly put it. He definitely seems like he's trained off a bit in Vegas. Ah, he's a ripper. He looks no, terrific. He's a party boy. No, no, he uh, he's in great nick. Uh, it would have been, well, we were hoping to do it face-to-face, but uh, the bureaucracy we couldn't quite manage. So on Zoom, it was great to catch up with him. Mark, thank you. Shane's in Adelaide. Welcome to you, Shane. Yeah, g'day, Jared. Um, I just uh, wanted to talk about the stumps. Um, we've seen it a few times last summer and this summer. The, the bowlers are hitting the stumps and the bales aren't dislodging. And they've made significant changes to the stumps themselves and to the bales with the zinger bales. I think it, it's compromising the game to the point now where the, the ball's hitting the stumps at decent velocity and the bales aren't being dislodged. And I think they, they need to look at this. We've seen stumps that are actually lower than the, than the other stumps. I just think it's something they need to look at. You know, there's so much money in sport these days that uh, it's, yeah, something they need to investigate and get better ways to put the stumps back in than using the, uh, the handle of the, of the batsman's bat. <laughs> yes, yes. It was, 
it was a real talking point in Brisbane, clearly. So I wonder the light-up stumps might negate the need going forward for the light-up bales. And given that the bales are such an intricate part of dismissal, uh, maybe going back to traditionally weighted bales while having the light-up stumps might give you the best of both worlds. You could have the wooden bales painted black and just sit them on the light-up stumps so you still get the full visual when they're crashed into, but you've actually got a chance of those bales coming off, whereas you're right, Shane, it, it is happening too often, uh, and it's, um, it's an artificial part of the game. Good on you, Shane. Thank you. Martin's in Diamond Creek. Welcome, Martin. Good morning, Jared. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Can I tell you about an omen bet that was successful yesterday, please? Yes, please do. Okay, Sapphire Coast race three yesterday. There was a horse in the field, and it was an omen bet for me. So I put $10 on it, and it got up. It was called Apollo Creed. Oh, beautiful, Martin. What, what a rich part of our sport-loving culture Carl Weathers was. Yes, and yeah. that would have been nominated a week out. So that is yeah. amazing. Isn't it funny how those things happen? It's a great segue. We're going to give a nod to Carl Weathers in a moment's time. Martin, thank you for your call. Uh, let's check in with Nathan in the newsroom. Nathan, thank you. So for Martin and for all of those who have been enriched by the sporting contributions of Carl Weathers, be it boxing or golf, the finest boxing entrance ever captured in Hollywood goes from Rocky IV. So you'd be able to close your eyes and see Apollo Creed on his way to the ring for his final fights. Bolts in Hobart, text through Vale, Carl Weathers, iconic roles as Chubbs in Happy Gilmore, Dylan in Predator and the legendary Apollo Creed, the best portrayal of a heavyweight champ ever. All characters met tragic ends, but Carl has left us great memories. And remember, fight to the end, never throw the damn towel bolts in Hobart. Very nice. Sylvester Stallone with his tribute soon after learning that Carl Weathers had passed. Hello everyone. Today is an incredibly sad day for me. I mean, I've, I'm so torn up, I can't even tell you. I'm just trying to hold it in because Carl Weathers was such an integral part of my life, my success, everything about it. I, I give him incredible credit and kudos because when he walked into that room and I saw him for the first time, I saw greatness, but I didn't realize how great. I never could have accomplished what we did with Rocky without him. He was absolutely brilliant. His voice, his size, his power, his athletic ability, but more importantly, his heart, his soul. It's, it, it's a horrible loss. And I'm standing here in front of this painting because it was probably the last moment we were ever in the ring together and I'll never forget it. He was magic. And I was so fortunate to be part of his life. So, Apollo, keep punching.
It's a beautiful sentiment. He personified the heavyweight champ with all the pizzazz and charisma like none before. I agree with Bolts on that front. And then Carl Weathers was in Happy Gilmore. We sat around breakfast this morning and watched a few of these clips. Just outstanding as Chubbs Peterson. Damn alligator bit my hand off. Oh, my God. Yeah, tournament down in Florida. I hooked my ball in the rough down by the lake. Damn alligator just popped up, cut me down in my prime. He got me, but I tore one of that bastard's eyes out, though. Look at that. <laughs> You're pretty sick, Chubbs. <laughs> we laughed at breakfast this morning. Vale, Carl Weathers, and his brilliant contribution to the way that we've followed sport in movies throughout the years. Our Melbourne's weather, mostly cloudy at top of 21. This summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up for the SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. There's a lot happening in Vegas this week and the WWE is going to ride into town with The Rock amidst a blazing controversy that has nothing to do with whether you follow the sport or not. This is essentially a, a sports entertainment organisation who seems to be at war with its fans. And it has the, we talk about charisma and the likes. The Rock has been faultless for, I don't know, a decade now. But it looks like the wrong rein might have been pulled on the way to WrestleMania. This has tipped over into the mainstream conversation here in the US and it's going to play out in front of us in Vegas as this week unfolds. So we'll give you the, the cheat sheet, the explainer, as to what's going on next. This is Waitley for Hyundai. The Hyundai SUV sale event is on now. Roman, one of the individuals I talked to, he knows you very well. So it feels to me, so The Rock hasn't put a foot wrong in a decade as he's become, well, I think he's the biggest male action star in the world. He might be the biggest star in the world, second only, well, second only to Taylor Swift. At The short version of this, you don't need to know the specifics, is WrestleMania 40 from a long way out was going to be Cody Rhodes on an 18-month journey to Roman Reigns, who's been the long-term champ. And now the switch has been made. The Rock is swinging in against Roman Reigns. There's all sorts of political intrigue in this because Vince McMahon has just been removed from what is a, a merged company, not his own empire anymore, on um, on charges that relate to um, the harassment of women previously. And the WWE wants a headline act and The Rock filled that bill. The fan backlash has gone totally mainstream here in the US and it's due in Vegas on Thursday at a press conference which is going to be a spectacle. So just a little explainer to a story that will bubble in Vegas throughout this week. Max Lawton's my guy on wrestling. Max, great to have you there. Pleasure, Jared. Just quantify the backlash that has been experienced from WWE fans since it became clear The Rock is bound for WrestleMania. Well, it's incredible to think that The Rock would be booed in any wrestling arena around the world is remarkable, given, as you say, he's probably one of the biggest mainstream stars they've had since Hulk Hogan. 
this is probably the biggest backlash we've seen in about 10 years. That was also a WrestleMania main event that went the wrong way. The fans wanted Daniel Bryan, this upstart, bearded wrestler, to get his shot at the big time, and they essentially forced WWE's hand. And we'll see whether that happens again. But look, the as you heard in that clip before this little segment, the reaction to The Rock coming out on SmackDown was big. People still enjoy seeing The Rock. But when everyone realized that this story, which Cody Rhodes has been building for almost two years, his catchphrase is finish the story, he comes out after winning the Royal Rumble, which gives him the right to face any champion at WrestleMania. He comes out and says, no, nah, I'm good. The Rock can wrestle instead of me, which is just the most bizarre character twist. And as you say, it's all tied into this backstage intrigue and The Rock is swinging his weight around. It's a remarkable situation. And I don't know if WWE can really stick with the plan. So the slogan now is we want Cody. Um, so mm. I take it the, the YouTube clip is now the most disliked clip that the WWE has ever produced. And that's, I've read before there was some 200,000 imprints of we want Cody and building by the hour. Yes. And this is where it gets into the intrigue of how much of wrestling is real and how much is not. They've started taking advantage of this. We had a few wrestlers, actually Logan Paul, notably tweeting, we want Cody. Are they turning this into a storyline? Are they saying, hey, we see the incredible backlash, the anger of our passionate fans who have stuck through us through thick and thin. You know, they've turned off many, many fans over the last decade. But now the ones who are really, truly invested are the ones angry because they love Cody. Cody has become one of the most popular baby faces, good guys, that they've had in years. So now the fact that those are the people who are rebelling and the wrestlers are mentioning it, they don't mention these things on social media without being told to. They would not rebel against the storyline just on their own back. So I do wonder whether, whether they'll change the, the flow of things. But even then, it wouldn't make sense to do so. So in real life, Max, is how much of this owes to the black eye which Vince McMahon has represented? Uh, he tried to manipulate things maybe a year and a half ago uh, on these sorts of charges, got back in charge, uh, and now has been finished off probably in a manner that was long overdue. How much do we imagine this is the WWE turning to its biggest star to try to smother the black eye that Vince McMahon has been? Well, the days before Vince McMahon quit in disgrace, The Rock actually joined the board of TKO, which is the joint company between UFC and WWE. So he is in the fold again, which gave him some licensing rights as well. And, what it seems like is The Rock has been pushing for it. He's been mentioning the match with Roman Reigns, which, to be fair, has been softly built over three or four years because that was always the end point of this Roman Reigns angle. But now it does seem like WWE has realised, hey, we're in the headlines because mainstream media outlets all over the US are talking about the lawsuit because it is some of the most horrific stuff you will read if you uh, do look it up. So they are clearly saying, hey, let's change the headlines. Let's get The Rock out there. He's the mainstream star. He means a lot. And so they've sacrificed the great story they have been telling, making up for last year's little mess at WrestleMania as well, involving Cody. And they are very clearly saying, hey, people are going to be talking about The Rock on radio like I'm doing right now instead of talking about Vince. What do you think happens in Vegas on Thursday? They'll probably officially confirm the match. Uh, they haven't done so yet, but it was just the soft launch of it on SmackDown. The question then is what type of reporters are at the press conference, what questions get asked, and when do they realise that the backlash is too much? If they are fearful that shows such as the Perth off the stadium show, which is coming up in about two and a half weeks' time, are going to be taken over by angry crowds, they may have to push Cody back into the main event, make it a three-way match, 
with Reigns and The Rock. Yes, if possible. right. So, look, there are still ways they can do it. That would be weird, but it would sort of make some sense in the mess that they've made for themselves. But, <laughs> look, The Rock's going to be there, and they're not going to be thrilled with him. I think I might go to this press conference, Max. It's a bit irresistible. <laughs> Oh, well, I think it's free attendance for fans, so why wouldn't you hop in there? Get a media credential? Ask a question? <laughs> yeah, a good no. time. I'm going to get a credit. Yeah, I'm going to get a credit and go to that. Max, thank you. Uh, what, what a remarkable scenario between a, a sports entertainment business and its fans right now. Appreciate it. Love it. Cheers. Max Lawton there. Uh, I think most WWE fans would love to see The Rock back in the ring. But what they've done in this situation is killed a better storyline, a storyline that has been building over two years. The Rock versus Roman Reigns match at any other time would have fans backing, but this match will be booed and may go down as one of the most disliked matches of all time. I've got long-form correspondence uh, as well. And a nice little tie-in from Ash. Watched Predator in tribute last night. What an athlete and actor Carl Withers was. Linebacker for the Oakland Raiders who transferred to an acting career. He is, to my era, what the modern-day Rock and John Cena is to this era. Will be missed, but the memories will live on through iconic film. Ash, terrific. Great note to finish your messages on today. We'll tidy up and touch base with Dwayne next.